Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Moores. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with us today, we have Dan Redpath. Hello. Hi, Sam. Hello. Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Dan Redpath. I'm the Group Sales and Marketing Director for Radical Motorsport. Now, let's sort of journey back. How did you get into all of this? Like, car, have you be, have you worked in car related stuff for a long time, or before that were you in something I else? Have. No, I had. To, you know, I've I've heard some of your other guests on here, and I'm sort of one of the um, very early starters from. Been, I, I guess, around one and a half, two years old. Something was built into my DNA that said I was going to like cars, and started off with, you know, sort of plastic pedal go karts back in those early days, and tons of matchbox cars, making traffic jams on uh, bedroom carpets and whatnot, um, which then sort of flowered into um, owning a series of my own go karts during and racing those during my teens. Oh, cool. Um, and I sort of, at the time, so uh, going to um, school, which would have been in the 90s, um, there was a trend for after school, go and do a gap year then and go traveling and yep. then go to university. And for me, I'd been lucky enough to have traveled already by that point. And I knew that I wanted to go straight into auto. That's what um, excites me. I look forward to waking up every morning because of because of cars. And so I, I went for it. I got a degree that facilitated that and then went straight in from uni into the auto industry um, at that time, uh, Jaguar Cars back in 2001 on their graduate program, which was a you know, real proud moment. Uh, what, a, what a great brand mm. to work for. It then became Jaguar Land Rover. They kind of merged together around about 2003, 4. So 
great to have some exposure to the Land Rover brand at that time. Really fantastic products. Didn't think at that time I was going to like them. I was a young 20-something speed freak. And yeah. then, um, and it was all about the 322 Range Rover. That was the coolest thing around in their product range. And it was actually the Defender TD5 that I fell in love with the most, strangely. Um, and then uh, 2006 came along and a job came up at Aston Martin. And this was, you know, sort of the, the pinnacle um, for me. I would have been in my late 20s at that time. Um, it was under the ownership of Ford, if you remember back yeah. to those days, um, and um, took, took uh, the interview process and was successful and started working for Aston back in, uh, back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, yeah. were you, what were you doing? What, what did you apply for? Um, I was the UK marketing executive so um, the uk at that time was the biggest market and my role was to um, do any product launches Um, it was to make sure that the dealer marketing plans were aligned with the headquarter plans and vice versa Mm. and um, also running the customer um, the prospect test drive days at millbrook Um, so gathering corralling kind of seven or eight aston martins and getting a bunch of lucky people who were in the buying process yeah. to come and try it on a, in a private environment without speed limits. And obviously had a, a few goes myself just to uh, appreciate the product. But that was the very first roller. Of course. Yeah. Rude not to. <laughs> um, that, so that was the first job and then went through a, a, a blend of different commercial roles. I was then sales manager for the UK. So promotion company car time. That was really exciting. 2010, that would have been, um, and um, straight into a five-cylinder Ford Focus ST, sort of looked down the list. I was like, yeah, it took me about yeah. three seconds. I'll have have one of those, thanks. And um, had a had a company, Aston Martin, a few years after that, had a, um, a Virage. So that was nice. the V12, D, DB9 Evolution, if you like, 510 horsepower that, V12. That is a solid aspirated. bump up the range of car models to go from a was it a Fiesta ST or Focus ST to uh, a Virage? Focus ST. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think, um, you know, again, rude not to, I think I'm fascinated by um, cars with interesting powertrains. Mm. Um, five cylinders are something special, but a V12, nothing beats it. And so, you know, when the opportunity came up, I was actually, um, we, me and my wife, wife were expecting our first baby at that time. And it's like kind of just the car you do not choose when you've got a baby num- number one on the way. But I went for it anyway yeah. and uh, dealt with the consequences at home. And um, I'm, I'm really glad I did it. It's, uh, it, was a, it was a stunning ownership uh, time. Um, and then after UK sales manager for three years, went to live on the other side of the globe for Aston. Uh, two years in Shanghai, working for our sales company um, for uh, for China, and then uh, straight on to Singapore. Uh, both of those were comms roles. So um, three years in Singapore, covering the Asia-Pacific region, so five in total mm. in Asia. Um, Asia-Pacific was fantastic, you know, dealing with a diverse range of around 15 countries from you know, Japan, uh, the Philippines, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand. Um, that was a really sort of, you know, wonderful chapter um, in my uh, in my life yeah. and my family's life as well because they were on the journey too. How do, so, um, how do those markets differ? 
let's say UK to more of the Asian market, how one like working in it, but also like how was mm-hmm. it to be in those places? Um, I, I mean, in terms of the uh, the, the personal life, um, China was was quite tough to adjust to. Um, Singapore, really easy. Um, you know, great places for your children to experience mm. those different cultures and languages and. Um, that diversity is great to um, to have had in my, my daughter's past. Um, in terms of the professional side of life, China, I think, was as different as you can get from what we're used to in, um, you know, on, on this side of the world, let's say. Incredibly fast-paced. Um, an email is seen as slow. Okay. Um, and so it's... Uh, kind of uh, WeChat is, which I suppose is a little bit like a great piece of kit. It's uh, WhatsApp, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all in an Apple Bay, all in one. And that's how things happen in China through instant messaging and very rapid pace of commerce. Um, Hierarchical too, you know, sort of um, making sure that it goes through the right um, people, the right chains of command and whatnot at the right time. Lots of etiquette to take care of. Um, and in terms of the, um, the customers, the, um, at that time, so this would have been 2013 through 15, Aston was relatively new and also late to yeah. the party. So um, it, because of the speed, um, it'll be a lot different there now, seven odd years later. At that time, we were trying to establish the concept of a grand tourer, which for us, you know, we kind of just know what it is. Yeah. It's the... Get, you know, you're in your tuxedo and you drive from London to Monaco and pop out the other end and slide into the there you go. casino. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's grand touring kind of thing. But it, it didn't really mean a lot um, at that time over there. So there was a hell of a job to do to sort of build the brand and uh, communicate what we were, what Aston was all about. Um, Asia Pacific was, um, as I say, living in Singapore, much easier, much an easier adjustment um, and l- really lovely to have that diverse range of countries from, you know, the northern Asia, Japanese, um, South Korea, um, very sort of traditional, more established type of markets mm. to the younger um, markets like the Philippines, where, um, you know, the wealth had come about more recently and therefore buying cars um, like Aston's, Ferrari's, was sort of relatively uh, new and low volume, super high tax as well, particularly okay, in the South yeah, Asian yeah. markets. Kind of think of a number, times it by three, <laughs> even for Ferrari's, even for, you know, Toyota's. Um, and Australia, New Zealand, obviously very similar cultures and whatnot to to, to, to the British market. Um, when, so, yeah, re- really interesting. Lots of time on a plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you've got those those multiples on prices. Now, I know it's across all cars, but and I, I don't live in somewhere that has a crazy high tax. But in terms of if you said to me, I don't know, all the cars are going to cost double, there's there's probably cars somewhere in the price range. I don't know where where you go, that is not a double that price car. Like some cars you get in, you're like, yeah, this could be more expensive or less expensive. But are there, is there a point where some cars just don't, they just don't translate for some reason? Like no one's ever going to spend 500K on a Fiesta. <laughs> yeah, right. I, th- I think the, um, the first time that really resonates is the first time that you come to, look at buying a car 
from the outside looking yeah. in, you know, we, we did it sort of halfway through our three years in Singapore. Mm. Uh, we went to lease an A180 Mercedes kind of thing, and it was it was hellishly expensive. But so's a, you know, so's a dinner or a pint of beer. Everything's expensive, yeah. and you kind of adjust to it. Um, obviously, having the experience of another country and what something costs, that dinner or yeah. that beer or that car makes you think twice before you sign any <laughs> any agreements and whatnot. But you kind of, you're there, you're living it, you have to sort of embrace it. And if that's what you want, that's the price you have to pay. And, and presumably Singapore, there's less tax in Singapore? Um, in terms of income yeah. tax, you mean? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, there, there is. It's not like um, some of the Middle Eastern countries where there's no income tax. There is a, there some, but... a, a, a progressive income tax system lower than typically you'd find in um, in, in the UK. Mm. It's, it's always been an interesting one to me, somewhere like Singapore where you know, you're saying everything's a bit bit more expensive, but then people say things like there's no rubbish anywhere and like you, mm. it's pretty safe because <laughs> of pretty draconian punishment and things like that. But was it, was it different? Like how, did, how was it living in, in sync? Was it like as a place and, and how did, all of those elements, how were they for you? Yeah, for, I mean, it's a great place to, to, to raise a young family. We, I don't, I rarely used to lock our, the front door in our apartment. It's true. There is very little litter around. Um, there is some, it's not true that there's no litter. It's not true that there's no crime, yeah. but certainly a lot prevalent, a lot less prevalent than um, many other countries in the world. As a place to live, it, it's fantastic. A you know, really, really great place. It's a kind of a great blend of, um, Western um, and Asian and loads of other cultures as well. You know, they celebrated Christmas and Chinese New Year mm-hmm. and Diwali. So really great for my daughter to see um, all those different sort of cultures being yeah. embraced and celebrated. Really great place. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds it's a cool experience to have and definitely for them. Um, throughout this period of time, and I guess up till now, and you're now in a sort of slightly different side of the industry so not quite the same but um marketing Mm. budgets and events that got put on i feel like this has probably Mm. changed significantly in the time that you've been working at sort of the more major manufacturers and then it's obviously a smaller manufacturer now but like crazy what are some of the were there some like crazy stuff you experienced that you're like you just couldn't couldn't get away with spending that money now um, I think the, the key one that stands out would be motor shows. You know, if you remember um, <laughs> 20 odd when. years ago, it was c- kind of the thing you did as a as a lad, wasn't it? Oh, let's go to the motor show yeah. and check out the latest cars and so on. And, and if you think about what goes on in order to make that stand, it's kind of like building a, a temporary house that just gets destroyed seven yeah. or 10 days later. And so they're hellishly expensive, you know, kind of think six, seven figure some, sometimes eight yeah. for the big, the really big manufacturers. And indeed, lots of those motor shows no longer exist, um, even pre-COVID before it's had its effect on on live events. So that's probably the one that, that really stands out. Um, and then I think in terms of the ones that you have to kind of um, do anyway in all the jobs I've done, so Jaguar, uh, Land Rover, Aston Martin, and now with Radical, um, you, you have to create an opportunity for customers to use their existing product as well as potential buyers to test it. And there's no two ways about that. You've, you've got to just invest in those mm. 
mechanisms to, to to make those things happen. Really important with with radicals as well being race cars. Um, you have to sort of create the the race series and uh, you know the testing opportunities and whatnot. Yeah. Because it's not like a road car where you can just go for a, a blast on a Sunday um, ad hoc, you know, off off the hip unplanned type of thing. So that that's even more important in in our segment right now. Yeah, that seems like a that's a, it's a tricky one for a, a manufacturer that predominantly makes race cars. Um, like you can sort of put them in. I, there, I've, where have I seen radicals? I've seen the race cars at Autosport, um, the sort of NEC race car event, funnily enough. Um, and then I've seen the Rapture. I saw that at Goodwood. I think that was the first time I've, I've seen a, a, a sort of radical stand outside of actually a race weekend type thing, um, mm. which that must have been. When, when did you move to Radical? Uh, so that was January 2020. So I'd done 13 years at Aston by that time. Mm. I was coming up to my 40th birthday, you know, fabulous time at Aston, like I say, particularly those years on, on the other side of the world. had come back to England uh, as, as a director of, of the company and just had this kind of, um, I suppose, some, some like an itch, you could call it, uh, something niggling in my mind that do I want to be here for the rest of my life? And then, like, happens regularly these days sort of uh, a linkedin tap that said uh, there's an opportunity and it's always very mysterious <laughs> never quite tell you what it's all about so um i responded and it turned out to be radical at that time i didn't know too much about mm. radical um and the more i went through the research of the recruitment process the more i i fell in love with it you know it's a it's a fascinating company with some with some great products yeah that, okay, okay so that element there you you didn't know much about radical now, presumably, mm. there's, there are a lot of people out there that know nothing about Radical. How do you go about changing that? Like, what is the strategy for, for, for like a race car predominantly co- company to get more people to know, oh, okay, maybe I'll buy a, a, one of the road cars or one of the race cars, take it on track days, do some mm. racing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, a brand awareness. I think... Um, one thing I've observed in my sort of just over two years with the company is that we seem to be this almost best kept secret in um, petrol head or motorsport segments, however you want to call it. Um, a lot of people do know about Radical, but it tends to be people who are um, already doing something at a racetrack, whether that's in a race car yeah. or in a road car sort of thing. So there's a job to do on, on brand awareness. And I think, um, you know, small company or a hundred employees, um, that we don't have the, the zeros on the end that the, uh, you know, the road car manufacturers yeah. have in their marketing budget. So a lot of it is around, um, uh, digital, so social media and harnessing, um, the activities of our dealers. Mm. Um, so the th- now 33 dealers we have around the globe and they're all doing fabulous activity. So, um, we'd be silly not to sort of, you know, amplify and, um, reposting that kind of thing yeah. and, um, supporting the activity they do, um, around the world. So, yeah, I think most, most people that have been to a track day, at some point in time, if you go to enough track days and you start driving around slightly faster cars, if, if you've ever taken a supercar or something something that's quick-ish or on a track, and then one day you'll be on the limit around a really fast corner, let's say Silverstone, Abbey Farm, and you're mm-hmm. going like 100 or something, 
and then some little so-and-so will just cruise around the outside in a radical and you're like hang on a minute hang on a minute what is that little pesky thing (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah absolutely yeah and you're, you're right i think a lot of people come to know it that way you know they're driving their sort of you know mclaren 720s yeah. ferrari 812s spent maybe all the money a bit more ordinary <laughs> but kind of whatever it is if there's a number plate on it you're pretty much guaranteed a radical low take it yeah yeah absolutely rinsed by even <laughs> the babies of the range the sr1 which is which is very quick that my journey into how I sort of came across Radical was, and I think it's probably how most people, I, I don't know, you, you'll be able to tell me, um, come across it is I, I wanted to do some racing. And I was lucky enough to be to have some pretty nice road cars at the time and had done some track driving in those. And the idea, I would probably approach it slightly differently now, but I didn't want to get in a race car that seemed less appealing then my road cars, or possibly slower, which is not a great way to get into racing. But I can see a lot of people go, well, I've got this road car, I need a faster race car's got to be faster, or even feel faster. And I looked at um, Caterham Academy and stuff like that. And then came across the Radical SR1 series, um, probably back in 2014 or something. Um, And they just looked complete they just look completely different to a road car and i knew they were super light and unlike the caterham you can see they've got lots of downforce um which means they're a bit different to drive and whatnot and and that's what got me in and then then the bug kind of stuck and you're like well i could go and drive something else on track or i could drive one of these and once you've driven something that's super light with lots of downforce unless you're looking to skid about you would, you, there's no real reason to go back. <laughs> no, that's right. And I think, you know, a, a lot of our owners uh, are not dissimilar. Some the, they've got a, um, a handful of cars at least, and it's sort of the, I don't know, the 720 becomes the car that they take out on, on the Sunday morning, yeah. you know, um, last-minute decision type of thing. But once they've tried the Radical, as you said, and that does happen a lot, you know, the customers the prospective buyers will arrive in that type of a car, you know, a 720 or or something of, of that kin. And almost a back-to-back, if you like, they've driven there mm. in the 720, they've tried a, a Radical and it's been designed specifically for a race circuit. It's a race car after all. And so why would they take the McLaren on track? And yeah, I think that's uh, it's a fair decision. Obviously, it will expensive to repair if you were to, have an off in a in a McLaren type of car and might be difficult to resell if uh, it became known that you were hammering it around Silverstone every other weekend. Yeah, um, and and actually the lap times, like you say, you know the the radicals will deliver a lap a lot more quickly and more um, enjoyably, more exciting than, than you'd have in, in in that kind of a road car. Yeah, and that that ability to, and, and and this could be any any sort of track car as opposed to a road car where it's maybe has come on a trailer you can push to the point where you end up in the gravel you don't necessarily want to end up in the gravel but if you do end up in the gravel you're like okay whatever like bit of duct tape stick stuff back on replace bits off you go not worried about my pristine paintwork whereas if you're in a for me anyway if you're driving home if you drive like that you're 
eventually not going to be able to drive home. <laughs> it's it's going it's to happen. <laughs> You'll get caught out. <laughs> and you can't push. Like, you need to be in a track-ish car, and then you can push, 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 push mm. up and, and beyond the limit. Um, so mm. let's have a little run through the cars Radical make. Now, I, I had a look on the website and realized there's actually mm. loads. Um, yes. <laughs> so you have the sort of the SR range, mm. which starts, it's SR1. So that's what I had um, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that has evolved since. I think it's become a, a bit more of a friendly car to drive since mine. Um, I, I've actually written down some specs to save your, your brain. Um, I'm sure they're in there, but just in case. Um, SR1, 182 horsepower, 490 kilos, apparently about 1.9G. Now, is that 1.9G on the the sort of series tyre? Or is that on a slip? Yes, it would be. No, that, that would be on the, the Hankook tyre. Because um, I... So if you're doing the SR1 series... Or I've got an SR1, but if you're if you're doing the racing, um, you know, there's two tire options, aren't there? There's like a, a road, it, it's sort of a roady slicky type thing, um, mm. and then a wet. Um, yes. Now, I remember SR when I had my SR1. People were like, if you put slicks on it, it would. There was a point where it would be faster, not all around around the circuit, than an SR3 because it had mm. loads less aero. Mm. So in a straight line, yes. an SR1 on slicks is 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 really fast. It's a quick car, um, you know, and the entry point of the range. But uh, yeah, it depends depends which circuit. If it's a if it's a longer legged circuit like a, a Monza, um, then that type of thing comes into play, and, and you know could could be an advantage let's say yeah but anyway if, if you have a and then you go up the range so you get a three and they're 226 horsepower not 60 right 3.1 seconds and they'll do about 2.3 g around a corner um and mm. and that goes i think that figure goes i feel like i've seen more than that but that's top top like flat 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 out Round a corner, you can get a bit more, but that's a brave corner. That yeah, that's like a Maggots Beckett's flat for the for at least yes. the first section of it. You'll get two and a half G, and your neck is gonna hurt. Um, yeah. It's funny. I was watching a video recently. Have you seen those Guntherworks cars, the Porsche like resto? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, um, and Henry Catchpole. I'm calling you out. Um, you got told some information, and I, I, this may be correct. I think it's unlikely. Um, but he said at one point, he was like, this car can corner up to 3G. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I've driven a Radical that does two and a half, and that's on slicks with a lot of downforce. And this is on a road tyre, and it's a 911. You're like, nope. Oh, wait. I, I think we should put that to a real test, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get hold of the Gunterworks, I'll supply the SR3. There, there is a Gunterworks in London. So if, if anyone knows this guy and he's willing to... Now, I'm totally... I want to be wrong about this, um, but I, it just seems mad. I've never been in a road car that will do more than like 1.3 or something on a road yeah. tyre. The tyres just can't do it. They can't transmit the uh, the Gs, can they? Yeah. Unless, I guess I guess an SR1 is like a kind of a roadie tyre. Um, yeah, it's it's a slick tyre with, with a tread pattern in it. Um, so, yeah, 
And then, okay, let's 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 rattle through the sort of various cards. So we get SR three, which is what I got. I've got. If you're in the SR one, there's the SR one. Is it still called the Cup? Yes, the race exactly. Series? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is and that's sort of designed as like an entry to racing series. It is. Yeah, that's designed really. If this is your first sort of adventure into the world of motorsport this is a fantastic way to 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 play that out to learn racecraft to learn um you know sort of managing race cars and um running budgets and and that kind of thing and often customers will do that for a couple of years and migrate up into the uh, the next series up which is the challenge typically into an sr3 yeah i found that like have you have you done some racing uh, not in radicals, no. I've did done in, uh, Spence sorry, in karting. Yeah, done lots of karting racing. So um, I have the bug. Yeah, because that I remember my my first car race was SR one at Silverstone, and like my brain was so overloaded by all of the stuff. And this this is for any, anyone I'm sure that's either done some racing, even even in a in a cart. But a car, I think you feel it a bit more because there's a bit more. Sort of almost like financial risk is probably a good way of putting yes. it um yeah you're just like there's so much going on that you can't process it and i found i found this the other day i find driving a new car that's maybe faster than i've driven before it takes me quite a long time to adapt to learn the car before i can start driving it quickly and then even right. think about racing yeah, there's there's a calibration, isn't there, between you, a chemistry almost between mm. you and the machine, and and that takes a bit of time to to bed in. Um, certainly, when people buy um, radicals, they all invest quite a bit of money doing testing before they come to a race. Mm. You know, because like you say, there's a lot of lot of inputs, a lot of data to consider, uh, lots of different things coming at you very fast, and um, and then there's just getting to know the car like you'd like you do with a road car so there would be you know several test sessions at the same circuits the donningtons the silverstones the brand hatches or you know we've we operate in 21 different countries so could be the you know the watkins Glen or laguna seca or sebrings before you go and put the helmet on for that first race yeah (laughs) and go pedals of the metal that's that's mainly why i've not raced my sr3 that much is i know I'm not, I'm not up to the speed that I, I'm getting there, but want to be before racing. So kind of like, mm-hmm. if you can't set a pop for me, if you can't get within roughly where you want to finish in the race, just on lap time, you're not going to suddenly on race day, go five seconds a lap Good. faster. And right. there's something about the, these cars, the, the sort of prototypey stuff where you could go, if you go out, if you put me in a road car, um, or and, and I'm 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 I would say I'm pretty pretty quick, not crazy fast, but pretty quick, and I can probably get reasonably close to a sort of pro time within like not too long. I'll be within whatever one two seconds or something. Um, whereas when you get in something like a radical, that I think most fast drivers get into a prototype and that gap becomes six seconds like 
It does, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think one of the one of the great things about Radical, uh, the product itself, is that it's quite approachable. It's quite um, easy to get into a flow. You'll be several seconds off the pace, but you'll be getting out with a huge grin mm. on your face. And you know, even if you were to put then a uh, an experienced Radical driver or even you know a, a Formula One driver everybody would be getting out with a, with a big smile on their face. So there's a, a very important sort of uh, component of our DNA on the, the vehicle, uh, the chassis quality, the chassis attributes, as it's called in the industry, um, which are that just give you incredible feedback as you as you navigate corners and, and so on. And it makes it really enjoyable. But absolutely, you have to invest quite a bit of time into you know, sort of drilling down those last few seconds to make yourself competitive for, for a race day. Yeah, which I think is 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 really good for someone that like enjoys track driving because you've got there's so much to work on and chip away at and learn driving one of these cars. You can then take it back to the other cars you drive and whatnot. But the real like fine tuning of balance and aero and the braking and whatnot takes a lot of time um but yeah your point about them being super friendly i think they look so intimidating mm. maybe you might see an sr1 and go like that doesn't look that intimidating but mm-hmm. by the time you get to you know sr10 or something like that even an sr3 there's so much wing downforce tire going on that i think a lot of people go this is going to be a nightmare to drive and there's these sort of you know, there's these myths around what driving an aero car is like, of which I think we can say that most of them are incorrect. The uh, Of all right. the aero cars I've driven, there is no window th- that you don't have grip. There's no, like, you go 100 miles an hour, you've got X grip, then actually you need to go 110 miles an hour to go around the corner because at 105 you're just going off the track. That doesn't exist. Um, it's progressive. It's It's super progressive and... That was one of the things I think when I went up from my SR1 to SR3 that you just get, it's just, it was actually just a better car, but it was friendly, more grip, faster, but didn't, there was nothing about it that you're like, oh yeah, this is crazy. You can, those cars, you can put the power down. Even in the SR10, I drove the other day, once it's warmed up, you can put the power down. So it's not this crazy, in the wet different, but they're not these crazy things they are very fast but they are really friendly to drive as well yeah absolutely we were talking at, um, uh, when when we met when you drove the sr10 about road cars that spin wheels in fourth gear yeah and that not being very enjoyable right so yes there's this sort of art of learning your radical mastering your radical chipping down on the on the lap times but it doesn't mean that the first few times you drive it you're you know really struggling and not enjoying no. enjoying things you, you'll enjoy it from day zero no question and everyone comes out like, like you said everyone comes out of the car and they're like oh that was amazing and then like the probably the best thing for a lot of people is to not you can show them the lap time because it will still be quick it's still a radical it's still gonna be quicker than the road car but maybe just don't tell them necessarily what the pro time is because <laughs> they'll come out and go oh i was They'll driving really it. fast <laughs> And you're like, well, you were, but it can go a lot faster. Yeah. Right. And, you know, a lot of people are, are, will invest in a, in a, a driver coach and, um, 
you know, they'll look at the, obviously the car's got a data module. So when you've come in, you've done a few, a few laps, you can plug the laptop in and look at um, all sorts of different data points. And the driver coach can read it really well and say, Hey, you know, you're braking too early, too late. Um, you're coming on the power too early, too late. Um, in addition, there's a camera um, on the car so they can overlay the actual camera footage of your drive with yeah. the graphs they're looking at. But right, and then part of that process often is that the driver coach will set a reference lap, and that's when your ego normally takes a little bit of a dent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a massive dent. Or yeah. um, I, know, I know one, uh, an example of something that people talk about as, as an interesting one would be, let's say, Spa. Uh, and I reckon, I don't know about the SR10, but the SR3, Eau Rouge, that set of corners, is flat. Mm. And mm. yes. It's it's quite an easy flat in a three, like it, it mm. comfortably does it. But to do that for the first time, if you've not if you're not used to some those sorts of cars, you could get you so useful to have maybe putting the driver coach in the car. Which cars do not drive as well with two people in as in one. It's much nicer yes. driving with one person than two, especially when they're that light. And then your driver coach will go around, we'll just stick it flat, and you're like, oh, oh. That's how you do it. <laughs> that's, that's how you do it. Your, um, your point about the, uh, the aim system and the camera and, and stuff like that, that is so useful. Even on a track day, when technically you're not allowed to time, so no timing was done or whatever, but if it's mm. built into your car... I'm just going to say it probably will still work. <laughs> I think you're right. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> so you, you may have some idea. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Have you driven Have you driven the full full range or a bunch of the cars? No, the, the opportunities to drive them, it's a, it's a lot less often than it would be working for a road car manufacturer. Yeah, totally. I've spent spent most time with with SR1, which which I really like it. Um, it's a very sort of easy car. They're like as I say, they're all easy to get to know, but this one in particular, quite a delicate driving style. You know, if anybody's driven a Formula Ford, it's a little bit like that. Sort of needs some very minimal inputs and huge respect for weight transfers as mm. you as you brake and and go through corners. Yeah, one thing I noticed about my sr1 and this might have changed with i think that it's got a bit more error now is you could if you like slammed on the brakes without like sort of nudging it a little bit the weight transfer would be so fast that you could lift not quite lift the rear wheels up but you could basically they're kind of lifting up and then a lot of people experience this kind of skipping sensation at the back of the car um whereas the three i, I don't it just doesn't do that it's got more downforce and you can just hammer the brakes at like whatever, just smash yes. them. Um, and I think that that's usually the biggest adjustment, isn't it? You know, you may remember yeah. to your, even going from the one, the SR1 to the SR3 in your case, but the first time you get into this type of a car, it's the braking that requires the most adjustment. It's just, hang on a second, it's not, my brain's telling me I shouldn't be braking this late on, this you know, late. 100 meter marker when in the Ferrari I was braking at 250 meters. Um, it takes some getting used to. <laughs> That's one of the things I've seen, like a few people go out for passenger laps and I've done, I've taken some people out occasionally and it's, they've been there on a, on the day 
driving around in a car, like you said, braking at 300 meters, 200 meters, and you're still on the beans till 100. Or, yeah, and then you smash on the brakes or don't even brake, just nudge it and then turn it in. And that's when yes. people, they're normally trying to like smash their way through the pedal box on the other side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I drove the SR10 the other day, which was a crazy experience. I, the, the GPS wasn't working, I think, when we were at the track. So I didn't have the speed in the car. But I since asked what the gear ratios were um, so that I could have a look at my footage and see how fast I was actually going. I think it was probably a good idea. I didn't know how fast I was going because at the top of fifth, I think you're doing 150. And then on top of six, you're like 175 or something like that. Um, And I was uh, regularly at the top of fifth in sixth, coming into a corner, you know, 100 meters before and being like, yeah, there's time to slow down a little bit. And then you just pile it in and off you go and round you, st- round you go around the corner. But it was probably like not having the speedo means you don't think I'm going around this corner at 125 miles an hour or I'm about to break and I'm not sure how the braking is going to go. And it's 160 miles an hour. Like it's completely yeah. bonkers. Yeah. You, you lose that reference, don't you? Your, your mind is on other things and it's, uh, yeah. Well, when you come back and look at video footage and then you sort of, um, I suppose, impress yourself that, oh, wow, actually, that was well into three figures. Which, uh, you know, if you think road cars these days, obviously, it's never been legal in this country to, to do three figures. But even in places like Germany, difficult because of road conditions, roadworks, congestions, mm. and, and that type of thing. So it's not it's not that often any of us spend, times, spend time up at those sort of triple digit speeds. Yeah, and especially in a corner. <laughs> right <laughs> so the sr10 when did the sr10 come out um so that was right at the tail end of 2020 um so we'd been developing uh the sr10 just in the lead up to uh, the covid pandemic mm. and obviously as we all um sort of went to work from home offices and spare bedrooms and whatnot in the march of 2020 we uh radical we had to sort of as a senior team decide whether to put the SR10 on ice or or finish off the, we'd done most of the development by that time, um, finish off the development and, and take it to market. And we decided to to, to, to go bullish. We decided for the latter. Um, the intel we had from our customers and dealers around the world at that time was that they were actually uh, more time rich. You know, they'd kind of spent lots of times time globe trotting and all the planes had been grounded at that time. Yeah, Motorsport in most countries was risk- was, was stopped for a couple of months and then most governments realized that actually you know with a balaclava and then a helmet that's a pretty good version of a face mask so <laughs> we got one else in to... the car yeah. <laughs> right exactly so yeah so these this customer base that sort of all of a sudden had time on its hand was stuck at home in inverted commas you know home countries that type mm. of thing so the intel was telling us it was actually a uh, the right time to, to 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 launch the car so we we it was tough you know we were uh, the, the the senior team was doing it from home offices, spare mm. bedrooms, that kind of thing. The engineers were out on the track, and uh, but, but we made it work like the rest of the world. And so, yeah, it was um, right at the tail, December 2020, the first chassis came off the line and became the fastest selling radical in our history. Um, it sort of superseded, if you like, the SR8, um, and we sold in those first four months more 
cars than we'd sold SR8s in four years. So nice. really well received by the market, which was, uh, yeah, which was a nice result. And what was the thinking, uh, the reason for developing another car over the SR8? SR8 had a, a V8. Um, yeah, right. It's a it's a hand built V8. We make it here in Peterborough. Um, it's a, it's a jewel of an engine. It's really, you know, I said I said earlier on, didn't you? I'm fascinated by mm. powertrains, and 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 that's one of the greats. It's 2.7 or 2.9 liter V8 macro block. It sings to ten and a half thousand rpm and kicks out uh, 411 horsepower in the process and which shoots flames you know, <laughs> it, it just sounds epic but um being a sort of a highly stressed highly revving engine it requires quite a lot of you know scheduled maintenance and rebuilding and the market was um shifting quite significantly to you, you may have heard of country clubs you know the private member yeah racetracks that's predominantly in, in america states, yeah, lots in the States. Um, there's some in Canada. There's a couple in New Zealand. Ascari is probably the, the yep. closest version, or, or there's one in Germany, Bilsterberg. And, though you know, those customers have a different usage of the cars that they keep in their man caves, which they typically have trackside. And it's sort of a, you know, over a, a race season, if you were to enter um, the, the radical race season, um, this year, 2022, you know, you'd probably do a little bit of testing and then those six weekends racing. And you'd probably do about 40 hours worth of worth of drive time where the customers in these private member clubs would consume 40 hours in maybe a month, you know, if they're um, in control yeah. of their own diaries and they can go whenever they want. So the market was asking us for something that wasn't quite so high maintenance, if you yeah. like. And so that, the SR10 answered those those questions, if you like, you know, more durable, uh, more usable, um, but still incredibly quick. It's a similar BHP to the SR8, 425, plays the 411 from the SR8, but double the torque. Obviously, there's forced induction to, yeah. to, to help with that one. But, yeah, I suppose and we, we kept the – you still can buy an SR8, although um, it's more or less the whole – demand has shifted to to, to yeah. sr10 we wanted to keep uh, an analog product um, on offer they're becoming so rare these days you know i suppose a little bit like gt2 versus gt3 porsche 911 mm. you know the, uh, the the turbo charge is a touch more digital the naturally aspirated a touch more analog so yeah. um we kept both on offer but as i say the sr10s kind of uh, that the market has voted let's say and uh, selling lots of sr10s and presumably the SR10 is is slightly better balanced. Is it as is it a slightly lighter engine or is it just more compact? Is it more compact? In in so the, the the cars we've talked about sort of so far, the SR1, the SR3, um, take a Hayabusa, a Suzuki Hayabusa mm. motorcycle engine, which we buy in from Japan, and then totally strip it down and replace with all sorts of exotic motorsport components like you know sort of cosworth pistons and whatnot um the sr8 we talked about that's our in-house uh, v8 macro block that, that uses hayabusa uh, dna but it's kind of our engine if you will yeah the sr10 then uses a road car engine so a uh, the 2.3 liter single turbo ford eco boost um, and road car engines tend to be a touch heavier and the weight tends to be a tiny bit higher, higher up. up so yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, um, obviously the chassis is tuned to to accommodate all of that, um, but it's a slightly different driving experience. You know, if you were to back to back your um, SR3, obviously the the the, the weight, uh, the centre of gravity is a touch lower, the overall weight's a touch lower, um, but you know you, the trade off is less power, less double torque. power. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not to be ignored. <laughs> yeah, you definitely. So I drove it on a. It was, it was kind of like a race car track day, um, and you massively notice the difference between an SR3 and an SR10 on the straights. Like SR3, it, on a test day, fine, because there's no rules, not really anyway. On, on a track day, you get to a straight, and if you came up... Because you're not allowed to overtake in the corner. That's frowned upon. Um, so you have to you have to either time it so that your exit, you're going 20 miles an hour faster than them, and then you zoom off a bit. But if you've got something like a... We keep referencing it, but it's a very quick road car, 720S, a 911 Turbo, something like that. You're not allowed to overtake them on the corner. And then you get to the straights, and they've got more shove. They just... Off they go, and they're... You know, that's where they're winning their their battles. They're like, yeah, I saw off that radical. Off they go. And then you get to the corner and you haven't quite caught up with them and you're not allowed to dive down the inside. So you then sit behind them for the next corner and it sort of repeats until eventually, I think what happens is drivers, the radical drivers start getting closer and closer and closer to their bumper until they're literally on their bumper and then they sit there for the entire time until your 911 turbo driver goes and complains to the stewards. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the SR10, you can come out of the corner and then you can just put your foot down and you've got the same horsepower power to weight ratio or more than most fast road cars and off you go. Off you go indeed, yeah. And I think, you know, with, with aero cars and naturally aspirated like your SR3 as you start to get up to the the top end of, of sixth gear and down the main straights, the... You haven't got that sort of horsepower nor torque to, to, to punch through the, mm. the drag sort of thing. Whereas with a car like an SR10, double that horsepower, double that that torque, and you just keep going until you hit the rev limiter in sick. Yeah, because I don't know what an SR3 tops out at, like 130, 40? Something like that, it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be in, in in that ilk. It's not a figure that we tend to test in yeah, in yeah. our segment of the industry. It's more more lap times and you know, sort of power to weight ratios and cornering G's. It would be something around that, which might not sound much for you know some of the audience. But uh, as you say, it's the it's other inputs, other stats that that give you well, the yeah. excitement, like and the late braking the f- and yeah, the fact you can do that speed around corners yes um but then yeah so the sr10 is like we'll do like 170 something or whatever so that's that's significantly faster even though it's got all the all the the um the aero yeah so so those are the sr cars which i i massively enjoyed driving the sr10 i thought it was it was weird how it took me a while to sort of get used to one driving kind of someone else's car so you're like don't want to prang it so i'm going to drive really sensibly and then get used to the powertrain and i think when you get in another car that's in theory significantly faster than previous ones you've driven you're 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 like okay they've told me that it's got these various engine maps i think the bottom one is is 
I don't know, 50% of the boost or something versus the top or something like that. Um, and then you've got traction control. So you start in like really conservative and then you slowly wind it off. And by the end of the day, you're just like full everything, full everything. And actually it's it's very comfortable and sensible to drive as long as you've got the, the tires warmed up. Um, but yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the so the sr range and then you got the rx or is it the rx range rxc rxc cars um, RxC. are you selling so you have there's a variety aren't there um there's what the, are, yeah how are those doing at the moment they're um they're smaller volume it's the flagship car um the, the SR models for sure. If I uh, just across from me here is the production line, and it's um, dominated by the SR product. Um, RXC you can have in a fixed head, um, so it looks a bit like a Le Mans car, you know, with gullwing yeah. doors, or a Spider version, which looks a, bit, a little bit more like the the SR cars. Um, it's a three point five liter bi turbo V six again, forty k boost product. Um, so, you know, sort of very, very powerful, 650 horsepower in standard trim, 654 actually in standard trim. But that's not really um, pushing the engine and, and customers can have that upgraded to bigger numbers. We've just done one yeah. for a good customer of ours from uh, South Australia um, in his RXC Spider up to 850 horsepower. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, I would do that. Totally do that. Um, and do you think the reason, what leads the sales? Do you think, is it, because I know that SR3, you can race in a lot of places. Hmm. Um, presumably SR10, you can also now race in a lot of places. Yes, um, yeah. And then in the RX cars, it's slightly different. Hmm. Yeah, I think in terms of um, the, the the sales, there's um, obviously the, the dealer network, a um, yeah. little bit different in motorsports industry to, to have a dealer network. Um, a lot of other race car OEMs will have one or two or three distributors, they would normally call them. Mm. Um, we have 33, you know, so that gives us a gearing, a, a much bigger global reach, sees us in 21 different countries. Um, and obviously, that's a big component of of the sales. You know, a big uh, a big piece of that jigsaw, if you like. I think um, you know the product itself. Obviously, you know you, you know you're an owner. You the um, experience, the excitement that you get from the product. It's all the same car that you're racing against. So it's not um, it's not who's got the biggest pockets. You know, to buy yeah. the whatever car because it's more expensive than the other car. It's really, really close and competitive and exciting uh, racing. And I think also there's the, um, I suppose, the lifestyle, the camaraderie you would have with your opponents in the in the paddock. You know, you're seeing these people sort of, you know, at least six times a year and sharing that excitement with them. And that, that develops really strong friendships. Um, and I think also because of the global reach, um, our customers are kind of, quite mobile anyway and they have the opportunity to race in um other series other radical series mm. so you know we um if you remember the uh, customer who was with us at snetterton daryl 16 year old 
guy who just uh, had a, a very successful stint in karting in the UK, moving up into SR1 and going out to the Philippines next week to do some racing with our dealer over there. Or, um, you know, a lot of the American customers love coming over for some of the um, iconic tracks over on this side of the globe, like Brands Hatch or, you know, Spa or Zandford, yeah. that, that kind of thing. So it does open up a, a huge range of possibilities. You know, I'm going on a business trip this weekend to Dubai and, oh, there's a radical race on and I could take part in that. So it's, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really sort of um, wide-ranging community um, built on, you know, basically having huge excitement and, and huge fun. And do the do the dealers in each region handle? Do they organise all the racing and stuff like that? Uh, typically speaking, there's um, there's so there's twelve, thirteen different radical race series around the globe across four different continents. Uh, we organise three of them, so two in the U, the two in the UK and the uh, the US series, and then the other nine or ten um, are organised by uh, by our dealer partners. Mm. yeah that is, is that's really cool being able to drop in in a different country and whether you need to hire a car or whatever and and then be amongst that group of people and there's something very good about racing a one make series like yes it it, it just cuts the rubbish like okay every now and then and radical i would say are pretty good for not releasing too many updates or too many not that because the, the, the cars the cars are developed and whatever and they work great so it's not like they break but you don't come out every year with a power upgrade so that everyone has to do the, the power upgrade um the engines had a slight change a couple three four years ago maybe um and i recently did my engine for the sr3s um just to remove that excuse but you could race a quite an old sr3 against the newest one and it you're if you're a good driver you're still going to do very well which i think is a great thing about like you can buy a car and you can race it for a very long time until it's basically worn out and then yeah. you might change some stuff hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and that, that sort of makes our job um, slightly challenging, to to be honest, because um, yeah. we have to make sure that we don't make owners' cars obsolete. Because then, 
you know, the, the grid sizes would go down and then the owners of the newer version would be like, oh, well, there's not many people on the grid now. So it's a very sort of finely balanced product marketing evolution that we that we have to sort of navigate for sure. Yeah, and, and I noticed that with SR1 when I was in SR1, um, there was this, and some other series have it, but there was this rule that you could only race for two years or and you had to be a novice at the beginning, which was some people definitely weren't novice um but but how do you find a novice race yeah they may not have raced a radical or a car but they've done 50 seasons in karting they're going to be quick people are always going to be quicker than than that anyway but i know that rule changed at at some point in time after i i'd left um Mm. and because i think so often you might race and be like you know what i haven't cracked this car yet I, I'm still enjoying it. I've owned this car. It's in one piece. I want to stick around. You can now do that in the SR1s, can't you? You can, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that predates me, my arrival. It's, yeah, 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 it's yeah, not definitely. around anymore. Uh, a lot of customers will do a couple of years, typically in SR1, and then feel ready to, to migrate up into to SR3. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the, um, so you do have some road cars. We do. The, we do. What are you we making? Have, yeah, so we've got the uh, there's a road a road version of the RXC and also the Rapture, which is um, an open cockpit um, again using that 2.3 litre uh, single turbo EcoBoost engine. So those are the two um, that we make. the The volumes are, are low. Again, you know we're predominantly a race car manufacturer, and um, it's quite challenging legislation these days. Uh, to navigate the small volume manufacturers so mm. i think ultimately long term we'll be focusing on the race car side of life yeah yeah it must be doing all the crash testing and, and and whatnot do you think as a company having to go through that process has changed the race cars a little bit uh the process of of, of getting cars road legal and doing all the crash testing mm. and whatever all that malarkey I don't think so. I think first and foremost, the cars are race cars. And I think um, the the road going versions are uh, very much race cars, which have been adapted to the road. Yeah. So they're noisy. They're not, um, you know, necessarily the thing you would take on that Grand Tourer journey we talked <laughs> about from London to Monaco, unless you had some pretty good ear, ear sort of defenders on kind of thing. But they are race cars in their in their in their soul. Um, which have been adapted with things like, you know, the right type of indicators and wash yeah. wipers in order to get them through a, uh, a a test for them to be road registered. I've just thought back. There's a, This is way predates your radical time. But production car records at the Nürburgring, mm. they all ignore the SR8, whatever it was called, LM thing uh, yes. it was like it was a road car road version of an sr8 like presumably radicals like no that's our record you still have what well, i can't remember what the time was it was like 640 something or whatever it was obviously going to be really fast um do you think we're going to see another radical nurburgring time Possibly. I mean, it's the company's 25th anniversary this year, so we've got a few things up our sleeve. But, uh, yeah, you know, for sure, On if you look on YouTube, 
that's definitely the most viewed radical video <laughs> out there. And it's an incredible one to watch. You can hear the V8 that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, really doing its stuff around the Nord Schleife. Yeah, absolutely smashing it around. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think anyone that's driven a race car or particularly, let's say, a radical, are, are, as having done that, there's no part of me that goes, I want to drive that on the road. Now, I'm sure the road cars are slightly different because they have to be, but like all the stuff that makes it great would make it an awful road car. Like, it's so low, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Some people just are, you know, I suppose besotted with the brand and just want something that away from those six weekends a year yeah, gives yeah, them yeah. The, thrill, the thrill and the excitement. And I guess... Also, there is something about, let's say, driving to a track day in the car, driving around, do some laps, come back home. I once saw, I saw an, I've only ever seen one RXC GT, I guess it was, um, on the road. And it was in Monaco oh, ages ago. It was a black one. And it just cruised past. And you're like, oh, this is like, this is totally take. different to everything else. Like, what the hell? Um, they look pretty, pretty mad out there. Um, so that's sort of we run through the the ladders and and whatnot and and all that sort of thing um how do you get if you're a prospective customer or someone's interested in you know driving a radical uh, what what is available for them to sort of try them out and stuff depends where you are in the world um obviously if you're in one of the 21 countries where we're represented um, mm. You would make contact with the local representative who would, you know, start to have conversation with you about um, what you oft, often people will start off thinking they want a particular radical and it, and it won't be the one that they end up buying. Yeah. So there's some guidance to do to, you know, from you try and nudge them up. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not at all. Not at all. Um Almost kept a straight face. Yeah, no, of course not. We, we, we make sure they buy the, the right product because we yeah, know yeah. that it, it'll be a journey. It's a, it's a ladder after all. So we just get them onto the right start point. Um, yeah. And um, what's available, it's it's obviously a little bit different to, you know, going to test drive a, a road car. Some things uh, are similar. Um, there are opportunities to, to test drive the cars often in motorsport. That involves paying a fee. Um, no sort of different for us um and you would then sort of you know spend a couple of hours driving the car my advice to a customer would be to have at least half of a day if not a full day it's worth having that upfront investment to make sure it's the right decision because it is more than just a, a product it's a lifestyle that you're buying into so yeah that that side of it i think meeting if, if you are going to get a car and you are going to start racing the series that we've mentioned and talked about, um, I've met so many great people in it. Um, and some of my close friends race in it. And it is, there's an element that is, is not, this is not why I did it. But if, if you want to meet a bunch of like serious business people, go race a radical for a season. Chances are there's a, like, there's not like, there's a certain, bunch of people that are willing to spend lots of money because it is cost racing is expensive um for a season of sitting in a car and 
you win what do you win if you win you get a cup and a hat like you you don't get a prize like prize money and you get the kudos and whatnot but it's a lot of fun um and you you meet like loads of interesting people a massive variety doing for sure it, and then for sure. and you get to hang out with them yeah right and you know a lot of our customers are um business owners and um have owned businesses still own businesses they um they're normally quite um, interesting people to spend time with. So, um, yeah, the whole paddock, you know, if you think it's it's moving across these different weekends, both the staff, the radical staff and the customers and the race teams, which support the customers, spend a lot of time together and it, and it becomes quite a, a, a close community. It's, uh, yeah, certainly a great, uh, great lifestyle. Yeah, and it removes the element of sort of ego, like let's say it's a track day and not, not radical related or whatever you can turn up in your fancy car and you can drive around and whatever but like if you're racing and you turn up with a massive ego and you come last everyone else on the grid is gonna be like yeah you came last mate like it's, <laughs> not, it's a great leveler of like it, there's no replacement for you know time in the car and whatnot and, and all that stuff just gets put aside and I'm sure there might be a little bit of banter as well for the guy who does come of course. Us, but uh, yeah, couldn't possibly comment on that. Yeah, and it's my experience. It's actually all about finding. You don't have to be competing for top spot. I mean, ideally, that's where you end up. But it's all about having a race, and the grids are generally quite big. So you're going to have three, four people that you're close to, and you're racing them all the time so you yes. you know you might beat them one weekend they might beat you the next weekend even if that's down at 13 14 15 and you, over time and years and whatever you slowly slowly move up that's definitely a a huge part of it sure with the with marketing i've i see every now and then and i don't know whether radical have done it recently but you see um various manufacturers radical including uh, giving cars to or not sorry giving cars to giving a drive whether it's a season or something to it could be a journalist could be an influencer um have, have you done that during your tenure yes i have yeah I'm, I'm really keen to do it um we did it a few times last year in 2021 and we'll do it again this year in 2022 for sure I'm not and sure I'm, if that was I'm, a if that was a hint, Sam. But you'd oh, be, I mean, <laughs> I'm totally open to this. But no, my main my question on it was I, I I've experienced it. I've been racing, and mm. people have been given drives and whatnot. And sometimes you get, um, and this is, I'm sure it's person dependent, but you might get someone that's been given a drive, and they come in and they just drive like a nut. There's possibility one they drive like a nutcase. And they might be maybe they're young. This also just happens with young drivers that are being paid for by someone else. They just come in and they go mental and they don't care, which financially is probably quite expensive for you guys if they crash a lot. Yeah. Um, and then it's, let's say someone's we've got the two scenarios. I'm sure there's other ones: a magazine or some sort of influencer type mm. social media platform, or maybe a celebrity. How does have you been able to sort of directly attribute sales to? let's say a, a, a magazine, it's a, a weekly, a monthly little bit of column about them being racing or influencers, they might do some videos about it. Is that yeah. quite easy, difficult to track? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're up into the realms of the 
very top of the funnel, the upper funnel kind of thing. And I'm sure there's the, there's the odd anecdote here and there of the guy who saw the YouTube video and went straight to buy the car. Often it tends to be several inputs rather than just one, you know, one read yeah. of Motorsport magazine or the one view of the YouTube channel. It'll, it'll be several over time that catch your attention and start those seeds germinating in your mind that this could be something for you. So that type of thing's more upper funnel brand awareness as opposed to, you know, converting um, an interest into a sale. Mm. And then doing something like a like a season, it, 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 I don't understand why anyone pays for anyone to do racing. Like, obviously, I understand why you guys do, but like, like the you always see all these cars that are branded up, <laughs> like, and it's always the business of the person that owns the car, or like it's their mate and they sponsor each other's cars because it, fundamentally, like a marketing spend from a big company on racing. Some people might argue it's great business. I think business to business as in you meet other people that mm. makes i i can see how that makes a lot mm. of sense um but generally it's a way of allocating marketing budget from that company into racing um, right but but committing let's say you know a, a, to someone for a season um is, is a big spend for for a company like radical isn't it it is and you know i think the first thing we have to do when when we're looking at this is um obviously we we look at which geography we're interested in um we look at which type of audience we think we want to go and uh, pursue if if you like and then we sort of shortlist a uh, different media partners who we could work with um Mm. and then the really difficult bit comes when we have to then look at who's actually got a racing license because (laughs) if they don't have a racing license they they can't race so actually it becomes quite a um you know a very sort of quick um process of uh once we've decided geography and and the media partners often then you whittle down to two two or three people yeah so normally two, two or three people would be um on the shortlist if you like then you're into diaries obviously uh, people like yourself have all sorts of exciting opportunities, so the stars don't always align in the in the calendars. Um, and um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's something that we want to make sure we continue to do because we sort of want to um, communicate the 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 lifestyle, the products, and 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 the racing. Yeah, I think it's and like I said, it's it's reaching those people. Do you have a sort of target? market that you're really aiming to get sort of more growth in at the moment um interesting question i think so the 21 countries where we're represented at the moment the Mm. the big hitter um in that is the us and two-thirds of everything we make in peterborough um heads across the pond upon to the states um just over 90 percent of everything we make in peterborough is exported um, so we're a great kind of export case study for the uh, Foreign yeah. Commonwealth Office. Um, in terms of markets that we're fo- obviously the US is um, really important to us. All of the um, existing markets are important, and we're always sort of on the lookout, should we say? You know, analysing data, checking out race series for areas where we're not yet represented, but there could be some some uh, potential there you know an example might be somewhere like japan where there's tons of racetracks there's 
lots of petrol heads. They uh, have an affinity to British products, um, you know, or Central and South America is another region we're investigating at the moment. Mm. Yeah, that's got, and and how do they sort of, let's say UK, US, how do those markets sort of differ? Well, I think in terms the, the biggest um, the biggest difference would be the use of the product, you know, the country club phenomenon in the States, which kind of like, I suppose, being a member of a golf club, you pay your yeah. joining fee, then you pay your your dues and you can kind of use it as as much as you want with some restrictions here or there. That would be the, um, the, the biggest sort of differentiator. Um, the geography plays a part to the, um, you know, for us to organize six races in the UK, you kind of old park up in the northwest of the country down to Brands Hatch in the southeast. It's what's that? Maybe a four-hour drive, but yeah. um, the the tracks in the states are all huge, huge, vast distances. Mm. Um, so then, you know, obviously that's a bigger commitment for the race teams and the customers to um, to do it. And and they do do it. It's just a um, it's a you know it's a bigger big bigger investment. Yeah, that's a significant difference, actually. The, like I said, distance between racetracks. Like in the UK, all the race teams are based, not all of them, but pretty much, you know, Silverstone-esque area. Mm. Um, and they can get to most racetracks within a couple of hours and then back to base and go home. The I can imagine logistically if it's, I don't know, coast to coast <laughs> in the States, yeah. like... That's, that's, that's a big that's drive. No small thing. That's a big drive. Yeah, I mean, I was in Sebring in uh, Florida in November for the final race of my US series. And, you know, we had Canadian customers driven down. So imagine that, you know, from Ontario <laughs> yeah. down to Florida. That's a big drive. Yeah, that's it. So do you get, in the States, do you get, like, a one-track series? Or, like, much smaller series? Yeah, you would have, um, if you were a member of a country club, often they have their own kind of race series at the, the home track. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can sort of uh, see that at the, at the country clubs. But um, and a lot of customers would um, start off with potentially not racing. You know, they just want to enjoy the car on a track day. Um, and it's normally a bit of an evolution, you know, where they would perhaps say, oh, well, maybe I'll try the race, the the, the home match, if you like, I'll just do one or two yeah. and then they get hooked and then they enter the, the national series. Yeah, I can imagine actually it's probably as a proposition. So one of my friends is lives in Germany, but does the UK series. Um, and I think the UK series is one of or possibly, well, I'm just going to say it is, I don't know whether it still is, was definitely the most competitive for a while um, in terms of SR3s and I think you, we seem to have quite a lot of international people coming in to race the UK series, I we guess, do. because it's all quite easy to do and you can have your car based here and then it's quite fun to come in. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a variety of reasons. I think the tracks are pretty good here. You know, not uh, easy, easy yeah. to forget, I suppose, when they're in our backyard, but like Brands Hatch, Silverstone, Donington, that's, there's three incredible tracks there and they're, you know, what, three hours drive? Um, apart it's uh, yeah. something that overseas customers don't have those iconic tracks in such a small concentration of geography and you know right such a level of rain 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and poor weather quality. <laughs> yeah. But, Variable um, conditions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's customers who fly in. Um, you know, we've just taken a booking for um, a Korean customer to come and uh, join us at uh, Silverstone at the end of this month. And, you know, it, it goes both ways. We'll have customers um, from the UK going out to places like Dubai. It's uh, it's a wonderful yeah. uh, phenomenon. It's a, something we call race the world, you know. Um, it's it's part of that lifestyle that it's easy for you to um, to take advantage of those different things. In terms of the competitiveness, the UK does tend to be um, slightly more um, edgy, let's say, in terms of its competitiveness. Um, but I think when you wherever you are in the world, once you put somebody into a radical and put a, a race helmet on them, it all, it's all quite competitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's. As I've given up my aspirations of being a Formula One driver or sports car driver or whatever, um, I, I, my main focus is, is having fun. And if I'm not having fun, there's no point in doing it. Um, Absolutely. So, And the idea of dropping in um, one of the last major tests is I did a couple of days at Spa. Did like, there was some couple of back-to-back test days you could do. And then I did the testing on the Friday for the race and then didn't do the race in the end. Um the idea of just flying in and doing spa, maybe go one weekend, go to Monza, go to some of these iconic European tracks and then in a car that you know and it's going to be fun. And then what an incredible way to spend in, the weekend, right? Do that. What, a, what an amazing thing. And actually now talking about it, I've, I realized I need to, I need to book in some more, even just test days because it's a lot of fun um in some cool locations because it's just it's it's nice and it's, it's actually quite nice for a change to go somewhere that's hot and sunny all the time that's quite good occasionally <laughs> like brown's hatch exactly like brown's hatch <laughs> down the, in the sunny south yes um so i normally wrap these up with five questions do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey yes it was driving in aston martin from the headquarters in Warwickshire to the Nordschleifer at nice. quite a respectable pace down the autobahn. <laughs> it was a rapid. Do you it remember actually, your? It was actually the. Your top the yeah, it was at the time. It was the the CEO, Doctor Ulrich Betts, and um, we needed to get a load of cars, factory company cars, factory demonstrators over to the actually the F1 circuit for. The Aston Martin dealers to drive and um, last minute I was asked by his PA to drive his company car and I said nice. yeah sure no problem it was an Aston yeah. dark, dark blue Aston Martin Rapide with a gorgeous tan interior and um, he walked past my desk at the time and said two things don't change the CD and don't crash I was like <laughs> okay <laughs> and nice. I think I saw one seven eight on the speed over i can't remember if that was a kilometer or a mile yeah yeah, yeah. It's a, a reasonable pace doing those sorts of days they've always interested me actually um a manufacturer taking a, a bunch of road cars to a track and then letting customers drive um one like signing off the liability like do you presume you take out insurance in case cars get damaged and is that quite hefty um, there's typically um, uh, corporate insurance, you know, whether for Radical or Porsche or or Aston Martin, which insures the, the people. 
um, in mm-hmm. terms of the actual, so it's a third party type of insurance arrangement. If yeah. it's the product itself, you'll find that often um, <clears throat> OEMs will self-insure because they make yeah. them themselves and it's not that often if you put in, yeah. you know, sort of processes and due diligence. And you know, if you think of when you've driven perhaps high-end road cars yourself, there's normally an instructor sat next to you. There's normally a briefing. Um, there's several sort of steps to make sure that it remains mm. safe. So it's rare that you see accidents. And so, yeah, it'll often be self-insured by manufacturers. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because replacing a bumper for radical is a lot cheaper than if you don't, if you're not radical. Um, yeah, that's in, and then that's always been an interesting one. I think the amount of track time you get is normally I found, and I feel like this is calculated. It's limited to not on when I came from Radical. That was like fill your boots. That was great. Um, but if you do it with a manufacturer, you get enough laps, you get to experience the car, but not enough laps that you start to like get comfortable and start pushing. <laughs> that calibration we talked about that chemistry yeah exactly yeah well we like to you know make sure that when uh, anybody drives our cars there's there's enough time to to get the chemistry going yeah 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 and it it, it does take it takes time to get used to it and get in with it and and whatnot i don't have you um one job i do not envy is being in the passenger seat instructing like that seems like a horrific job. For- <laughs> I, I really, yeah. I mean, personally speaking, I I love it. Um, I like yeah, any, yeah. anything that involves speed. Um, you know, skiing or being a passenger or a driver in a car or anything like that. I, I think it's um, yeah. You know, you've got to have a pretty strong stomach as well. If you're not in control of the G forces, it sort of can give you a bit of motion nausea oh, kind of but uh, i love it i just like anything yeah that, that's uh, I, i'm speed i quite enjoy being a passenger i i don't i the idea of coaching someone or who you may have never met before um that i i've i've seen that heard of that going wrong t- enough and I guess it's all down to like people management at the end of the day. The better coaches, the more you do it, the better you get like setting expectations and being like, no, this is, this is not a joke. Yes. Do what I say and you'll go faster. Yeah. But yeah. And I guess, you know, those guys, they do it. That's their, that's their profession, isn't it? You know, and they tend to um, represent different brands. You know, one day they'll be working for, yeah. radical another day. They'll be working for another manufacturer, but typically speaking, they'll have their, kind of portfolio of three or four or five brands which means they get to know not only the staff behind those brands but also the products Um, and Mm. i think that goes a long way in terms of then being able to get the best out of the people in the driver's seat and uh, coaching and and guiding them and sometimes slowing them down yeah 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 it's these you get these various sort of track special stuff i've seen days whether it's you know mclaren ferrari aston everyone does it where they've got their own race cars that are not race cars now and drivers that go out and the the lap times that get put in 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 a road car nowadays like the fast road stuff is so fast in a in a straight line 
and they're not slow in a corner that you could someone go out who just bought your 720 they could do like 180 miles an hour and I, I, I think it's so easy to forget that you're going 180 miles an hour. <laughs> yes, particularly when you're on a racetrack, right? And I yeah. think, you know, cars, modern road cars these days, obviously there's, um, it's not like the cars that we've been driving you know, 20 or even 10 years ago. There was the, everything seems to have got more powerful and, and faster as far as a road car goes. And um, I don't know, personally, I think that um, there's there's more to having an exciting drive than I did 180 <clears throat> on its own. Yeah. You know, there's lots of other inputs, lots of other visceral experiences yeah. that, that make it exciting. It's sort of, I think that's like a box ticking thing. You do it once yeah. or whatever and you go, yeah, that's step one. Now I've done that. Let's work on, on all of the other things. If yeah. you could drive one car for the rest of your life, you sorry, I really need to change how I write this. You've got two cars, one unlimited value, whatever, and then you've got five hundred pounds for something else. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So the unlimited value would be a Porsche nine eleven nine nine three Carrera S. Not that Ooh. expensive in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, just a beautiful car with a fantastic powertrain, that flat six engine great design yeah. and you could use it as a daily why, why not you'd get some there i think i feel like 993 is is starting to sort of come into its 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 thing now i see a 993 and i'm like mm, yeah whereas like 10 years ago it's like nah nah just an old so that middle bit bit of the porsche bit it's aged well they seem to really coming in it's definitely aged well yeah for sure and it's got like they're kind of modern Kind yeah, modern enough to use as a daily, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then five hundred—that's a really challenging question. What would I buy for five hundred? <laughs> I'd probably buy something slightly ridiculous, something that was you know fifty or eighty grand when it was new, and now it's like a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. something I don't know, like an old seven fifty BMW that's looking a bit sorry yes. for itself, and kind of for yeah, five yeah, yeah, yeah. five hundred quid, why not just have a little bit of a gamble and. And enjoy yeah, exactly. yourself. If if one day you have to chuck it in the bin, fine. But you, up you until that point, fun. when the, the suspension fails or turbos or whatever, then you're you're having a good time. What do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? What should be worth more? Oh, that's an interesting one. Undervalued. Um, so we're talking now in terms of um, anything at all, right? Blank canvas question. Blank canvas. It's difficult, I think, to predict the the up and coming stars, isn't it? You know, um, I think anything, especially now. Especially now, I agree with that. I think you know when you look back with that luxury of hindsight, with limited run BMW M3s, and you're like, yeah, of course it was going to appreciate the value. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think there's certain cars like the the Toyota. Uh, GR Yaris, you know, that limited run mm-hmm. of homologation cars. Um, the fact you can buy that for 30-something thousand pounds, I think that's pretty special. Um, I think also, you know, with the way the legislation's going at the moment, it's driving us all into um, electrified cars. Um, yeah. And although I drive one on a daily basis, I wouldn't say that I'm a 
you know, uh, huge fan of them, but prefer the uh, combustion engine. But I, I think in, in the mix of all that, I think there's something really special um, in where Radical sits in, in the, you know, in the ecosystem, if you like. In, um, it's a haven for petrol heads. Legislation, mm. if you think about it, hasn't really played much of a role in motorsport. Yes, there's noise restrictions, but in but the other angles of legislation um, haven't really played a huge role. So you can have a pretty um, a pretty uh, unfiltered petrol head experience in a radical, and that would be one of my nominations. That's that's an interesting point. I don't really thought about that. Like race cars are kind of well, they are. They're not, they're not road cars, so they don't have to pass the road car rules. Um, from a powertrain point of view, over time, do you think this change will affect the radical cars or not massively? I, I think it will. Um, you know, I think the my personal view is that I think there's more to come. I don't think this story is quite yet unfolded in full. Um, I think there's a bit more in terms of renewable fuel, possibly hydrogen too. Um, and then you look at things like the um, capacity of electricity grids. If, if all of us were driving EVs and there was, mm. you know, everyone had two per household and the grid, the grid just couldn't support it. So, you know, there's already a limitation that you can forecast um, in it there. So <clears throat> I think let's see how that plays out um, as far as radical is concerned right now we value that sort of um haven that sort of safe place we have in terms of um, combustion engines and for the foreseeable future you'll certainly see some form of combustion engine powering a radical yeah and presumably with race cars one you could run on hydrogen you like synthetic renewable fuels like you said they're, I think at the moment you can make them, but they're very expensive. But if you run race cars, you're generally running race fuel, which is also very expensive. So, And you're not using loads and loads and loads and loads mm. of it because it's whatever, 10 days a year or something. So actually, I think motorsport would probably be, and it sort of has been a little bit, um, the way we'll see that, first there was the porsche super cup were meant to be running on um on a sort of eco renewable synthetic fuel i think but i don't think they've started yet i think they were meant to and they haven't um but that yeah that definitely looks like a space what what ev do you have so i've got one now and one on order so i'm temporarily driving a polestar 2 and then the one that's on order, which will become my permanent car, is a BMW i4 M50. How's the Polestar? It's okay. It's not my kind of a car, <laughs> let's say. it's. Um, so for anybody who's a, a Polestar expert, it's the, um, the long-range single motor version. So it's, okay. it's quick enough, but it's not perhaps as quick as I'd like it to be. So um, I'm quite looking forward to the to the i4 M50 turning up. That's got I think 500 and something horsepower, which is a bit more my kind of number. And lots of torque. Lots, I mean, because you talk. you've had a few interesting sort of daily-ish cars, haven't you? That ilk. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this this was my first sort of foray into electric. It's the, the first EV. Mm. Before this, I had a um, one of the last generation of 2019 335 diesel touring, which is a an awesome engine, an awesome powertrain, loads of torque. Yeah. I think the the torque experience in an EV is unusual to begin with because it's maximum torque at any time, at any speed. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, you know, obviously torque in a combustion engine changes through the rev range. It's a function of how fast the engine's spinning. And yeah. um, again, that's part of the reason why I like the combustion engine, because it's a, it's another, you know, um, skill, if you like, to make sure that if I need to navigate maggots or I'm looking to overtake that truck or whatever, then I need to think about what gear and what engine speed and, and whatnot. Whereas the EV, it is kind of, that one makes it go faster and that one makes it go slower. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It does remove that part of your brain that if, if you like to think about these things and, and engage with driving, it does slowly remove all of these things over time. And we definitely have this at the moment where people worry. They're like, oh, you know, drivers aren't paying attention. It's like, well, yeah, cars are getting more boring. Like, driving is getting more boring. Like, you need, we're going to need the car to stop you driving into stuff because there's nothing to do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, I do 83 miles each way. So I'm doing 166 miles a day. Um, luckily, most of it's on national speed limits. So you can sort of make a bit of progress. But uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it's a nice time for me to catch up with um, my family, my friends, listen to Spotify. Um, Maybe I'd, uh, in the morning while I'm driving and I catch up with the east side of the globe, you know, so our dealers over in, say, oh, okay. Australia and New Zealand in the evening, um, it's a chance for me to catch up with the other side, you know, the, the American or Canadian dealers. So um, I quite, uh, al- although I am tired by the time the week comes to an end, um, it's nice having that sort of little um, space at the start and the end of each day to either mm. either you can get just get going with work or you know, listen to podcasts or, or music or, or catch up with friends and family. Yeah, sort of alone time and stuff. I, sure. I really like that. If I've, I'm not often driving, but if I am, it's like an hour and a half somewhere and an hour and a half back. And I really I get a certain amount of stuff done, like phone calls that I couldn't be asked or don't really want to do. If I'm in a car for an hour and a half, I'm going to do the phone calls because like, you're in a car for an hour and a half. Absolutely. <laughs> Home insurance or, or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. All that stuff. You must do an insane amount of miles a year. I've never calculated it. Um, but yes, <laughs> it would be 166 a day. It's uh, yeah, yeah, and then not insane. I mean, I, I, I travel I, a bit too, obviously, when uh, mm. when there aren't COVID restrictions. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not always in this country. But uh, yeah, so yeah. and I think we were talking there about the cars have become less interesting. That's where that's where we started, yeah. to, and it, and I think that's because I do those big miles that actually I really want something that's going to engage me um, mm. on those journeys, but also something that actually, if I do want to just listen to Spotify or phone my dad or my mum, um, yeah. that uh, you know you can cruise along and it not be too too involving, too intrusive. Yeah, I I found myself slowly uh, like I used to want a car that would do everything. It was like really engaging, but also you could cruise and whatever. And the reality is, there's always a compromise. 
you're never going to have the one in the middle that does everything as well as the extremes. And I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about the amount of time you actually sort of drive for driving sake almost, like Mm. for fun. Mm. And for me, it might be, it's very rarely I go out just to drive. That's, That's really rare. Often it might be, the 10 minutes at the end of a long journey, that's like the country road, windy, that's quite fun before I get somewhere. But I've been slogging for all that time. So actually, it's, I think it is quite rare for drivers these days to just be driving for fun. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you need this other element. And I think I'm finding that I want something most of the time that's just comfy. It's got the tech and will munch miles and maybe has a slightly fruity engine for a bit of sound enjoyment and whatnot. But that, and then on the flip side, for the rare times that you do or you're going to an event or whatever, have something that's a bit more crazy, but less less in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, <clears throat> if I think when I first passed my test and uh, you obviously are in that honeymoon period of, wow, yeah. I've got a driving flat license. Out everywhere. Yes, <laughs> flat out in our sixty horsepower first cars, whatever they were. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I think it's. I'm the same. You know, rare that I would just think I'm going to go for a drive. I think you know maybe if I was on a uh, the journey I do, I might take a little bit of a a detour to take a nice sweeping A road or yeah or that type of thing. I mean, I did it. The, the car I had before the a couple of cars ago before the BMW mm. was an E63s estate 2019 nice. and um that was uh I, I used to take a few detours in that one and switch off the mile, miles per gallon thing just so that I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> didn't get uh, too too shocked at what the consumption had become yeah yeah, yeah yeah that were you doing lots of miles in that as well no much much lower mileage in those days probably about sort okay. of 30 40 miles a day so yeah easier on the wallet yeah a bit less i drove <clears throat> The a twenty twenty E sixty three S on Monday. Ah, how did you and it was it was really good actually. My problem, and I think we briefly talked about this the other day, with the previous ones has always been the ride's been a bit firm. And post facelift, um they it's much it, it's better, it's noticeably better to the point where previously it would put me off buying the car. Now I'm like, no, it wouldn't put me off buying the car. Like, it's good. But it's, it's, this is a funny thing that happens. Salespeople often they don't know too much about what they're talking about. Sometimes they're amazing. I said to the guy, he said, What do you think of the car? I was like, Well, the, I, I liked it. The main thing I wanted to know was the ride compliance versus the pre-facelift so i had driven a 2019 e53 estate and i've not driven the 63 but the suspension was basically the same Mm. um and now i've driven this one and the suspension is better i thought that was a good improvement and his response to that was the thing about the e53 is it's four-wheel drive (laughs) right as though the 63 (laughs) isn't (laughs) And, and that's i said and so is the 63. <laughs> At which point he then said, yeah, but you can put it into two-wheel drive. 
and I that was the point I shut down because I was like, can okay, you? I could. You, can't, can you? you can. Oh, you can. Okay, I didn't find that. You can, yeah. but to put it into to rear wheel drive, you have to turn all of the systems off, traction control, ESC, everything off, and then you can put it into rear wheel drive. And it's like, so whilst yes, it is technically possible, no one's going to do it, and if you do do it. You are really taking matters into your own hands <laughs> with like six hundred horsepower and two tons. Two tons of stake car, yeah. You're you're a brave person to do that for sure. <laughs> yeah, and like fine, I give it a go once, but that has nothing to do with the suspension. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I've sort of stopped talking to salespeople about cars because unless they particularly seem like a real, you know. They're in in deep. My questions, my questions of which I already know the answer, but I'm just trying to have conversation. Generally, just fall flat or get a stupid response, and I can't. I just want to bang my head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you need any insights onto E63 estates, just let me know. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Right, most interesting car to you at the moment? What you googling, looking up, following, watching? Um, Oh, that's an interesting. I'm Googling um, <clears throat> a couple of things. One is a Porsche Cayman. Uh, you'll probably tell me which nine, eight, seven, nine, nine eight, one. one. Um, so it's probably probably about sixteen, eighteen thousand pounds worth of Cayman S. What would that be? Is that a nine eight? Oh, nine eight seven. About an oh eight, oh nine type of a car. Yeah. And I'm Googling that as my uh, antidote to driving an EV. Mm. Um, Manual, of course. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't entertain the two-pedal version. Absolutely, a manual. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my job requires me to Google a lot of our of our own products. So you know, kind of mm. at work, it's uh, it's Googling and checking out radicals and what's happening there. But right now, on the sofa at home, it's uh, late two thousands uh, manual Cayman S. And presumably, like I, I imagine, most of the world at the moment looking at these things and going, yeah, but like a year ago, they were a lot cheaper. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the lockdown um, didn't help any of that, did it, with supplies being restricted of of new cars and lots of people with no. lots of time on their hands. And they're like, uh, maybe I should buy an old BMW M3 or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the values have skyrocketed for sure. And has, has that chip shortage affected Radical? Not really, no. Um, I mean, we've had uh, we've had a few delays of some of the um, AIM electronics coming in. Um, it's been a minor delay, and we've managed to, to navigate sort of fairly well through mm. through that challenge. Um, I think we we've got some of the challenges that most of the rest of the world is dealing with: delays to inbound logistics. Um, yeah. You know, it's the same boats that are all sort of delayed around the world that then delay your outbound logistics. So. So you've got yeah. our customers who are waiting for their new car and um, really excited to get it and then get really frustrated when the outbound logistics to, to get it to the other side of the world get delayed. But uh, you, didn't, you didn't have any cars on that um, VW Group boat that sank the other day, did you? No, we didn't. No. <laughs> I'm sure I, I, the, way, the way that probably works, the way it's uh, worked at companies I've worked for previously is that those cars would have been insured for um, marine yeah. transit, and when they 
are destroyed like those ones would be, they would count as sales. So, you know, those Volks, oh, okay. those Volkswagen group, you know, Porsche, Volkswagen, Audi guys would probably go, well, yeah. that was the easiest 300 take-ons I've ever sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In reality, I think there were probably loads of people waiting for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, t- 10, 15 years ago when all of the um, channels were overstocked and overstuffed, that would have been very well received by most road car OEMs, I would say, but the reverse now because there's huge waiting lists and, and order banks and stuff. Yeah. Lots of people waiting, a, a, you know, they've waited a year for their car or something and then it sinks in the middle of the ocean. Yes. But um, I've, I've heard it's getting resolved. Like they're getting, they're not having to wait another year. Um, right. Final question. Five car garage, unlimited value. Wow. Um, mine are all reasonably priced actually but uh, let me run you through the list and you can tell me what you think yeah um <clears throat> first one 1991 audi quattro 20 valve nice one of those cars that a lot of my cars you'll you'll sort of probably pick up on this but they're sort of from my earlier part of my life and it was normally yeah somebody you know uncle friends dad had one and those and those ones seem to have just made the biggest impression um yeah, on yeah, me yeah. and they're sort of the ones that i would most like to have so that that's the first one um mm-hmm. second one aston martin v12 vantage so this is the one that came manual out. absolutely yeah manual so this would be when it first came out it was only manual um those earlier um, cars from around about 2008, nine, the Pirelli P0 um, sort of dry bias tires and small car, monster, monster engine, <laughs> monster engine, but actually quite understated looks. You know, people still let you out of, of junctions yeah. when, you're, when you're driving an Aston, but the opportunity to sort of drive in a spirit and rubber. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, to stretch the legs, let's say. That is, that is definitely like a muscle car. Like, even though we don't necessarily have American have muscle cars, but like V12 Vantage, I don't know what it is, 560? That is an absolute five, guess. 510, power, the early ones, yeah. Advantage. Yeah, 510, and yeah. then up to 565 when it became the, the V12 Vantage S. But they're one of those, and the design's obviously pretty stunning as well. Um, on those ones, um, I'd have a the nine nine three that I talked about earlier. That'd be a black mm-hmm. black Carrera S, one of the later ones, ninety seven ninety eight, um, and that would probably be my daily. Um, on black black, it's gonna get it's gonna get dirty. I don't care. <laughs> you know gonna get I don't dirty. care. <laughs> In my dream garage, there is never dirt yep, on the it's road. There, yeah, <laughs> um, yep, fair. I'd have a, there'd be a Range Rover. I'm a big Range Rover junkie as well, which yep. goes against a lot of all the things I've talked about previously. But yeah, V8 diesel Range <sighs> yeah, Rover. Yeah, they're nice. They are fantastic. There's, you know, it's a great way to travel down a motorway or tow something or, yeah. you know, even picking up things or dropping it off to the tip or it's just a fabulous car. And I, I love the V8 diesel engine. Um, spent a bit of time with one of those while I was working at um, at Jaguar Land Rover so that would be on the list um, I would have there would be a Radical SR3 in the garage as well which would be nice used to race um, as well that 
probably towed by the Range Rover just for a bit of why not Simples, fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what are we up to now? So we've got the that's it. I, I think, think that's, that's our it. five, isn't it? There you go. So we've got the Quattro, we've got the nine nine seven, we've got the V eight Range Rover, we've got the Aston Martin V twelve Vantage, and a Radical SR three track adrenaline. Boom. That seems like a good a good squad. The your bit about the Range Rover. The rain I'm I'm not anti SUVs, but I think for most people's purposes, they don't make much sense. They seem a bit silly. Um like someone that buys an X three for over a three series touring, um like you you get fifteen more MPG in the touring and, and it goes around corners. Sort of space. And it goes around corners. <laughs> yeah. However, I would like a Range Rover, which is a problem. Like, it, it, it goes against all of this stuff. Well, um, the ones I've driven, and I'm not sure what they're like these days, but they're not very good at going around corners. Um, I'll tell you that. Much, they don't go around corners. No, they're not, you know, they're not particularly good at braking and stuff, but there's just <laughs> something that's more than some of the parts with a Range Rover. They are just stunning emotional cars. Yeah. And there's, I think part of that it is the fact that they, it's not that they don't go around corners. That's not the reason why I like them. I think in the UK, most SUVs are designed to sort of emulate a fast road car. You know, they're quite stiff. And when you're an SUV and they're stiff and they've got stiff anti roll bars, they're not that comfy because you've got all this mass moving, but it just kind of, doesn't it's trying to not move whereas the range rover accepts that it's not going to go around the corner very well so you go around the corner and you lean to the side but when you cruise down a road it just like wafts down the road and it's lovely whereas the other ones don't do that no they sort of jiggle and yeah. whatnot, crash through potholes <laughs> and stuff around. don't they but yes yeah the range rover yeah. does it in a much uh, a much smoother fashion for sure yeah I'm excited to drive the new one at some point. Um, see if they bring... The, uh, the thing that's always put me off is they're really easy to steal. Right. Could just be because they're desirable, but I think it's something also to do with the architecture and whatnot. You, everyone seems to have a steering wheel lock on their modern car, which would put me off buying an expensive car. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I think... Um... Range Rover, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. But I think you know any modern car. Um, I, I've certainly got a steering lock, which I, having returned from mm. Singapore, not having locked my front door for three years, whatever it was, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, had a C sixty three estate that uh, was uh, had a few stolen. Nobody ever managed it, but they tried a few times. So I got one of those enormous metal. Oh, really? Um, I forget. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's a disc lock, which I still still use now on the the, uh, the Polestar that I'm driving. But uh, it's not the great experience to have to put this huge piece of metal on and yeah. off every day. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a sign of the times. Yeah, is that is that a, a right faff to do, or is it not actually that bad? It's do you leave it in the boot or a right faff? To be honest, <laughs> but it's sort of <laughs> if it's in the boot, you know, you sort of shuttling it into the boot and uh, i tend to just put it in the passenger yeah. footwell and try not to think yeah, what yeah, happened yeah. 
if I did roll the car, how hard would it hit my head? I don't, I don't think about that. <laughs> yeah. I think about I'm too lazy to put it in the boot, so it's going to go in the passenger footwell. Yeah, or slamming on the brakes or any of these things, just destroying the interior. Yes. Oh, well. Is what it is. Well, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast and thanks for letting me drive the SR10. I, I very much enjoyed that. That was wicked. Yeah, no, it's been fabulous to host you at Snetterton in the SR10 and really great fun today. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.